Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by the audio ministry of Lighthouse Baptist Church in Schenectady, New York. For more great content, please visit us at lighthousebaptist.org. Now let's open our hearts and minds to the Word of God. Glad you're all here today. Listen, I'd like you to go back to that Proverbs chapter 1. Thank you, Joe, for reading that. Interesting how God changes things all of a sudden into a new direction, but not permanently. In other words, he can take you down a road where you know you've got planned ahead, and then all of a sudden he kicks you to the side for a minute to preach a couple of messages about chastening and correcting. And I, I really didn't know where this was going or why he was taking me in this direction, but he did. He started Wednesday, and uh, obviously there's someone, I would believe, within the sound of my voice, that needs to understand that where they are, or what they're going through, or what they're suffering in, um, needs to hear this uh, because they're not where they should be, where God wants them to be, and uh, and our God is a faithful Father. Uh, he's not going to allow any of His children to get away from Him without a fight. Uh, so this is what really this message is all about, and uh, and you're asking about what this is all about, right? Uh, sometimes I use props. I haven't used them in a long time. I'm using this one today. Uh, this is what is called a persuader. This is what my father called a persuader. So just quickly, looking back at those verses before I start, notice some of the things that he is saying here. It's all about wisdom, but you can ease, very easily relate wisdom with God. And he says, turn you from, my, turn you from uh, my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit unto you. I will make known my words unto you. In other words, None of us have any excuses when we read the Word of God of knowing what to do. He's going to show us. It's going to be black and white. And there's going to be some things as far as directional ideas that are going to be a little harder to understand sometimes. But when it comes to what's right and what's wrong, uh, he's very clear on this in the Bible. goes through it again and again and again. So, And because I have called you, and look what it says, you refused. You know, there's uh, literally thousands of people out there that I have witnessed to that have refused, totally refused what I was sharing with them. And that's sad to me. Uh, but in, from God's perspective, he wouldn't have wrote this and he wouldn't have put in the last verse here in verse 33, the good news part of these verses, uh, if he wasn't interested in every single soul that's on planet Earth. And he's not going to let anyone get away with anything without him getting involved somehow. If you look down, he says, I stretched out my hand and no man regarded. Right? He's always that compassionate, loving, stretched out arm God uh, to say, listen, all you got to do is come, come back. Just come here, grab my hand. I'll hold you. I'll take you through this. But you have said it, no, all my counsel and would not none of my reproof. So I'll laugh at your calamity. Now, I, I don't believe he means there like he's going to do this belly laugh about you know, the, the problems you're going through. I really believe it's about a God's sovereignty here, that he knows what you think you're, you're getting away with, you're not getting away with. And like a father would just snicker and say, you know, this is, you're not going to get away with this, you know, with a little bit of a, a laughter in that. And plus, remember, this is wisdom it's talking about here, too. And I will mock when your fear cometh. Now, when I read this for the first time, it really, I really struggled with this because of God mocking us when, his, when the fear cometh. But again, he's talking about wisdom. Until I understood what God is saying here and what he's trying to do, 
He says, when fear cometh as, uh, as desolation and your destruction cometh as a whirlwind, when distress and anguish cometh upon you, which it does upon all of us at certain times, then they shall call upon me, but I will not answer them. Why not? Why wouldn't he answer? Um, there's a reason, and we'll show you that in just a minute. Um, they will seek me early, but they will not find me, for that they hated my knowledge, my knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would none of my counsel. They want none of it. I want nothing to do with it. They despised all my reproof. In other words, my attempts to get them, and which this is what I'm going to talk about today. Therefore, they should eat the fruit of their own way. What goes around comes around. In other words, it's not hard to see when you watch somebody that has rejected God and it, it just comes back against them at some point. Uh, they shall eat the fruit of their own way. And then, it's, and then it says, for the turning away of the simple shall they shall slay them. In other words, uh, uh, just simple things is going to take them down. And then, but then he comes with verse 33. And I, I, this all by way of introduction. I wasn't even going to say all the stuff I just said, but I had to say this uh, as the foundation going in here so you don't think when I preach to you in the next uh, 30 minutes, you're saying, man, this is a real grim message. You know, because it is a little bit because of what I have to say, what God's trying to get into us. But he follows up and ends it with that. And that's what you got to get in your heart before we start. For whosoever hearketh unto me shall dwell safely. In other words, all these things are voided out. They're all going to be voided out. If you'll just listen to me, you'll dwell in safety and shall be quiet from fear of evil. Oh, Father, please, I pray, bless this message this day. Exalt yourself. Lift up Jesus here today in this all-caring, compassionate heart. And we'll just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. It's been a year since my dad died. Um, he died June 26, and actually it's been a little hard to even mention it, um, but he died, and my dad, uh, in the early years, he I worked with him on construction. I think some of you would know how that works. You know, I worked with him on construction and different things. In his latter years, right, he worked for me in the sign business. He came in and did the construction part of the signs that I was doing. And I can still hear to this day, I can still hear it. When something would get a little tough, he'd say, Wade, go get the persuader. <laughs> right? That's what this is right here, the persuader. Now, what is a persuader? Oh, I'm glad you asked. Well, it's a hammer. And one hammer is, you know, I'll know what a ball-peen hammer is. That's for the finishing work in a job, the ball-peen hammer, right? And then there's the sledgehammer. Anybody got sledgehammers? Yeah, they're a, little, they're a lot heavier. Now, that's for the demolition work. So you got one for the building work. You got one for the demolition work. Well, there's got to be an in-between hammer, right? That's a persuader. Now, this works for both types of jobs. In other words, that stubborn stud, when you're trying to get it to go in, you take this and you hammer it on the bottom. It persuades that stud to move, and it goes into place. So it's kind of an in-between tool. And then in demolition, you know that one two-by-four that won't come out when you're trying to knock it down and the ball-peen hammer ain't doing it? You say, get the persuader, and the persuader comes in, this hammer right here, and, uh, and you can knock it out with it without having to go to the sludge hammer. So... Uh, it's, so it's an in-between hammer. That's what it is. It's the persuader. It gives the added persuasion for that new stubborn stud <laughs> that won't move, right? It just needs a little bit of extra emphasis, <laughs> let's put it that way. And if any of you know David Will, 
this is where this came from. How many of you know David Wilt? Does anybody know David Wilt here? All right, David Wilt is a church planner down in Staten Island, New York. And he has a hobby. Him and his wife have a hobby. And uh, they, when they get a little burned out or a little tired, they, they, travel up to, they would travel up to my house. And, uh, and they, they would still do that if I was living down there. If they, knew I'm he, if they know I'm here, what they do. But I think this is a little bit too far away from Herkimer. But anyways, they come up and because they want to uh, take a relax, so I'd let them use one of our bedrooms. And they got three kids. And, uh, and then they would uh, pursue their hobby. Uh, for a day or two. Well, what was her high? And by the way, just a side note, his daughter, Aletheia, has leukemia, and uh, they've been um, struggling with that for a few years now. The last I known, she was conquering it. I don't know what's going on right now, uh, but I wish you would pray for them in that. So he and his family would come up, and they'd stay with us, and, uh, and they'd, just for this hobby, can you imagine this? You know what their hobby was? They'd go to the Herkimer Diamond Mines, how many are familiar with the Herkimer Diamond Mines? All right, amen. So they bring, they bring their hammer and their gear and all this stuff. They come up, and they're off. I mean, I'm talking, I get up early at 5.30, but 5.30 I'm up, they're already gone. I mean, they're so excited about this. And then you go up to the Herkimer Diamond. Well, one day he come up, and he forgot his persuader, I call it, or his mini sledgehammer, and he asked if he could borrow my hammer. Uh, so on one trip, right, he takes my hammer to the Diamond Mines. While breaking away the stones, he broke off the handle of my persuader. Feeling very terrible about what he did, he bought me this, this persuader that I'm showing you, and he replaced it. And, and I thought about that as preparing this message, and it's a perfect illustration for practical application of what I want to say. Because it's a lot of hard work persuading in them diamond lines. It's swinging. It's laborious, but it's very satisfying once you see or find that one diamond you're looking for. And by the way, they look like real diamonds. They really do. In fact, he's given me a couple uh, through the years, and I'm praying uh, to see him again. I saw him just recently down in, in, in December. I saw him down in Long Island. He was at a pastor's conference down there. So. so sometimes in order to help us avoid the painful consequences of defiance, God has to be a little more persuasive than he is normally to get our attention. And he has to break away any residual pride or doubt or unbelief or any stubbornness or selfishness that we have in order to get our attention. Because he wants our attention. And as he breaks them away, sometimes he has to get a little more firmer with us. A little more firmer, I should say, than usual with us. And he does it out of love for us. You've got to understand that. He does it out of love for us to help us, not to hurt us. So he is trying to spare us from any further harm. Anybody that's a parent here knows exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, these are the loving acts of mercy to get at the gem that he has planned for that person. Lamentations 3, 31 through 36. I share this as, as like just laying the seed here. Right? For the Lord will not cast off forever. But though he cause grief, which he does, yet will he have compassion according to the multitude of mercies. For he doth not afflict willingly, nor grieve the children of men. 
to crush under his feet all the prisoners of the earth, to turn aside the right of a man before the face of the Most High, to subvert a man in his cause, the Lord approveth not. So he's, he's really setting the stage here. He's saying, listen, sometimes, sometimes i got to be hard on you. But I'm not doing just to crush you. And I'm not doing to push you aside or turn you aside and, you know, and make you look like a fool. That's not why I'm doing that. He's saying he's doing it, really, because he loves you and he's just trying to get at the gem. Now, here God had brought more grief than usual to his rebellious people in this particular passage. And Jeremiah was hoping that one day God would have compassion on them, bring them relief, as he had done so many times before, because God was faithful always to do that. And Jeremiah knew they were a gem in the rough, and they were worth saving. So even though God chastened them hard at this particular point uh, that Jeremiah is talking about, or Jeremiah is talking about limitations, even though he was chasing them hard for misbehaving, he did not do so willingly, and he was not in it to destroy them. His own children, um, he's not going to do that, but sometimes it's necessary for their own good to get a little harder. Is all, everybody with me so far? No? I think, this is my personal opinion, <clears throat> I think it's a last-ditch effort by God. In other words, when he has to get hard, he doesn't want to get hard, but sometimes he has to get hard. And it's just the last thing he has to do or to try to do that to get your turn. So I want to also, though, I want you to notice in Lamentations 3 and other places in the Bible, God takes no pleasure in just turning aside, turning it over or excusing it. Justice has to be done. If he's a just God, right, he has to to take care of it. In other words, he can't let, away, uh, let, let us get away with injustices. So to put it as simple as I can, God takes no pleasure in causing grief, but he also can't let anyone get away with their defiance and unbelief either. He can't do that. He cannot go uncorrected. We cannot go uncorrected or unconnected to God to rem for him to re remain a loving and just God. I, boy, I tell you, just this kind of puts a nail in the coffin of Calvinism. He's just after everybody. He loves everybody, and he really wants them, all of them. It's a parental principle, actually. In other words, if you're a parent, you love all of your children, the rebellious ones and the ones that are obedient. You love them all the same. That doesn't change. But you have to be harder on one than you do another because this one is rebellious and this one is wants they're selfish and want to get their own way. And the other you can reward, uh, reward better because they're obedient, they're trusting you, they're listening, and they're going the way that they should go. So, listen, with all of that said, it's not, God doesn't do all this to hurt them, but to help them from further harm like a parent does. Um, he has sometimes used a little more force, right, just to break away the stony parts of the hearts. He does so to get to the inner jewel. Because that jewel is what he wants to put on his crown. So he also is not willing to let you, to, uh, for you to lose important blessings along the way. He really he doesn't want you to lose any blessings in this life. Uh, so why not just be honest with us? And that's what he does. 
But the reversal of that is, then why aren't we just honest with God with ourselves? You're not going to get away from him. You're not going to uh, mock him. I, there, there are some things we just won't budge in without a good smack from the Holy Persuader, right, called the Holy Ghost. He knows how to get our attention, by the way. Anybody here ever been slapped side the head by the Holy Ghost? Right here, yeah. Yeah, sometimes it's really painful. Sometimes it's even physically painful. And I have to admit, sometimes when watching those I love headed in the wrong direction, and they're mocking God in their rebellion and defiance, I'd like to take that persuader and beat him across the head myself. But the Holy Ghost just does a much better job at it. And it's not, a, it's not amazing to me how stubborn uh, we are. But what is amazing to me, how stubborn we can be. Right? I mean, we can, we, can, we can be really, really stubborn sometimes. We find ourselves getting in trouble over and over again, some people, and they just refuse to listen to wisdom and to advice. So we fail to realize that many of the same battles we're fighting day by day are just because what we're doing is we're fighting against God. We know what the right thing to do is, but we won't do it and God has to do something about it. So our conscience reminds us of what God desires from us all the time, but we're so stubborn, refuse, we refuse that instruction of the conscience, and as a result, we suffer for it when we could have been blessed in it. Everybody with me so far? So here in Proverbs 1, 23, uh, 23 through 33, we find what I call conscience persuader verses. I mean, I don't know how anybody could possibly read this, saved or unsaved, and not be convicted by it. I mean, these are pretty harsh words here. They're, they're sobering and, and searing at best, and, and, and all, uh, at worst, and all but one of them are very disturbing, except for verse 28, the last verse, or 33, excuse me. But whoso hearkeneth to me shall dwell safely and shall be quiet uh, from fear of evil. He goes through this litany of things of what happens when, it's stu when you're stubborn, what he'll do, and, and then at the end he throws in this, but all that can be avoided. They should, it says in verse 28, they that shall call upon me, right? I'll, I'll, but I will, I will not answer. They shall seek me early and they shall not find me in verse 28. But then he turns right around verse 33 and says, but whosoever does hearken unto me shall dwell safely. Isn't that amazing? That's our God. And if that don't slap you up sometimes, nothing's going to slap you up. So I really don't have to preach these verses. You all right with that? So it's going to be a long message. I really don't have to preach them because they're black and white. They're obvious. There's nothing, there's no expository advantage to me going in and say, this is what the Greek says or this is what the Hebrew says. It's not going to do anything. It's very plain. It's very black and white here. They preach themselves. All you have to do is just read them. So read them. Right? When you leave here, get a hold of that book and the book that you got in your hand that God uh, you know, ordained and placed in your hand and read it. And avoid any unhardship, uh, unwanted hardships in your life. I mean, you can avoid a lot of them. Some of them, yeah, God ordained, yes. But most of them you can avoid just by wisdom, by listening to what he says. But what I do want to do this morning is show you what I have noticed in 37 years of witnessing people go through hardships that could have been avoided. I want to try to give you these, and I, again, it's... Uh, I just believe I've watched them over and over again. 
And I'm not sure everybody understands uh, when they're going through some things that a lot of it is because of God. So the Bible shows us there is usually a progression in the way that God attempts or causes grief to get your attention. There's usually a progression. So I hope these will help you, right? I, I got about 15 minutes to give them to you. I hope I can get through it. And I hope these will help you, especially if God is trying to get your attention right now. In other words, uh, I don't know where you're all at. I don't know what's going on in your hearts and minds and lives. But behind those closed doors, in those private areas of your life, he knows. He knows exactly what's going on. He hasn't backed off, at least not yet. And I hope you'd listen. So I hope these will help you. Uh, this is a follow-up message, by the way, to Wednesday night's message uh, on chastening and correcting. And I, I would encourage you to go there and watch that if you can on Facebook and if you haven't already because it'll help you in preparation for this and also in preparation for, I'm going to give, I believe, two more messages on this area. Like I said, God took me off the path for a minute to give these messages. Not sure why, but I know somebody needs them. So I, I have two more messages coming that will follow the same theme. Now, these are the ways that I have noticed God used to get, uses to get your attention when we are on the wrong path. And on the wrong path doesn't necessarily mean uh, you're all the way off in sin. It could be just you're not believing God. You're in unbelief through things. You're not trusting Him. You're worrying about things. You're fearful about things. It could be any of those wrong path item verse, uh, uh, topics. So they are usually done in progression. Now, here they are, and I'm giving them to you, and we're through. Number one is this. The first thing he does is he sets you down and talks to you honestly and privately through your conscience. That's the very first thing he does. I've watched this over and over again. In other words, with no disrespect intended, because he loves you, he brings you to the principal's office. Anybody ever go to the principal's office? Yeah, I was there several times, unfortunately. Uh, I'm not proud of that, uh, but I did, he, he did get my attention <laughs> anyways. But a lot of times when I went, it was him saying, listen, if you keep doing what you're doing, you're going to see some severe consequences, and then let me walk out of the principal's office. That is exactly what God does. He brings you in for some firm and serious private conversations, giving you clear warnings of what's ahead if you don't amend your ways. You know, we serve a compassionate, empathetic God who is touched with the feelings of our infirmities, right? He, wants, he reaches out because he knows the pain that you're feeling or what you're going through, for we have not a high priest, right? Hebrews 4.15, which cannot be touched with the feeling of your infirmities. He went through it all as a man, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. You know, many times we find ourselves in situations that causes us despair or doubt, thinking God has forsaken us, cannot feel our pain, and we can't feel Him, or, is not, or He's not willing to listen to our complaints. And you know what happens? A lot of times, especially with teenagers, they rebel because of that. And let, let me explain. A good example of that is Elijah. He's, he's, my, he's one of my favorites. I use him all the time for counseling. When Elijah ran for fear of his life, for fear of Jezebel, do you remember that story? 
and was admittedly caving into his doubts. He, he just said, yeah, Mom, I'm the only one left. There's nobody else out here, you know, and I did what I ta- asked you to do, and I want you to just take my life and end it. The Lord chased him down, though, didn't he? He chased him down where he was, and he was not willing to let him perish. It says in 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish. So he's going to chase you down. Yes, he is. You cannot outrun God. You can't outsmart God. You can't outpower God. So Elijah found himself in a cave. I call it the cave of doubts. We all get there once in a while. Wanting to die, feeling alone, and forsaken by God. And then God appears to him and appeals to the senses. You know how he does it first? You know how he gets his attention first? He just sends uh, things like strong winds. And then he shook the mountains, and then he broke the rocks into pieces. Then he sent an earthquake, and then he sent a fire. You know, all they were was just to get his attention, that's all. It just let him know that I'm the guy that can do all this. You know, there's nothing that I can't do. And then it says all of this was to get Elijah's attention so they could get to Elijah's heart, so that he would listen. And once he has attention, he spoke. And he spoke in that still, small voice. Now, you all know what I'm talking about, right? I think you've all experienced this, this, whether you're saved or not. You don't have to be an Elijah. You don't have to be a great prophet or a man or woman of great faith or even be saved to know when God is trying to reach you. And he's trying to get your attention so he can speak to you without distractions. One of the things the principal always did with me is once he went in the door, he shut the door and he said, oh boy, I'm in big trouble now. But you thought, right, he was just going to whip me. But instead, he just wanted my undivided attention. So whether you're saved or unsaved, everyone knows deep within they're barking against God when they're barking against God, <laughs> denying and defying him and his influence in their lives. No one ever gets away with their rebellion against God. I have to be very careful about this illustration uh, because if somebody's listening, I don't want anybody to take it the wrong way. Uh, but I had a principle, and my son had a principle. It was my principle, and then it was my son's principle. And my son wanted to be top of his class, and the principal said to him, that's a, that's a good ambition, but don't worry about it. Right? So he, he, there was somebody he was competing for. He wanted to be in the top, and he said, don't worry about it. It's not a big deal. You don't need to have that. And that bothered me. True story. So I went up and I said, I'd like to talk to you in private. Now remember, he was my principal. <laughs> and I took him in private. And he shut the door. And I said to him, why are you, why are you discouraging my son to want him to be the top in his class? Oh, he got kind of defensive. He said, no, sorry, sorry. I, 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 just did, I didn't mean anything by it. I said, you should be encouraging him to do that, not discouraging him. Right? So he, he, we talked, and then I said, now that, now that that's over, he said he wouldn't do that anymore. I said, I want to talk about your soul. And I started to share with him the gospel. And within five minutes, he was weeping. And he was telling me all the things, and this is what I'm talking about here, all the things that were going on in his life that was wrong, and he knew God was trying to reach him. An unsaved man who publicly made the news in something he did. He, he made the news. 
I mean, you probably might even heard about him at one time. And I, I said, and here's where you can turn this all around, right? But whosoever hearkeneth unto me shall dwell in safety and shall be quiet from their evil. The bad news is he did not trust Christ as a Savior. But the good news is it's just absolute confirmed proof that God does work in the hearts of the unsaved. He doesn't want anybody lost. So the first thing God does, he tries to reason with you. He speaks to the conscience, right? And, and his business is proving himself right and reproving those who are wrong. So I call, it, I call that, uh, that small voice, that persuasive voice of reason. No reasonable person could possibly uh, think that God is not evolved or that God is a fool because they know in the deepest part of their darkest moments that he's right there with his arm outstretched. It says in Isaiah 118, Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord, though your sins be as scarlet. That, that mean, that's, that's, to me, is meaning an unsaved person. They shall be as white as snow, though they be red like crimson. They shall be as wool. God's saying, come on, sit down with me. Let me talk to you. I, I do that all the time. Listen, just give me a few minutes to talk to you. Right? That's all they want, just a few minutes. And then afterwards, if you want to reject what God has for you, that's your own choice. So God has put within each of us a God consciousness that can reason with God, an inner sense of right and wrong. It's very sensitive to the still small voice of God. And I'm reminded of King Solomon when he rebuked Shimei. Do you remember when he rebuked Shimei in 1 Kings 2 who had wronged his father? He told Shimei his heart was privy to the crime. Do you know what that word privy means? Privy, that word privy means he was fully aware of what he was doing. He was fully aware of the consequences if he got caught. And he was fully aware right, that, uh, that, uh, of his decision to do it anyways, even though he wasn't supposed to do it. Fully aware, privy to it. He knew he was wrong, and yet he did it anyway. Sound familiar? You know, we've all been there at some point in our existence. Liars know they're wrong, and they do it anyways. Adulterers know they're wrong, they do it anyways. Criminals know they're wrong, they still commit crimes. Alcoholics and addicts, addicts, they know they're wrong, they still, they don't seek help. Porn watchers know they're wrong. They know they're wrong. But, uh, but it's to lust, that lust is just fulfilling to them. They can't stop. The truth is, all lawbreakers, they know they are wrong while breaking the law because God reaches them through the conscience. Uh, Paul put it this way in Colossians 3.15. Man, I'm going too long here. I'm going to keep you here for a while. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which also you are called in one body and be ye thankful. You know what the key word of that verse is? Listen to it again. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also you are called in one body, and be thankful. You know what the key word is? Let. Let. When we let God rule over our heart, it changes everything. This implies two simple things. It's just that first we have we all have our own will to do what we want to do. And secondly, we speak to the will. He speaks to the will to get you to let him take over. So when you are in the right path, your conscience is at peace. 
when you're headed down the wrong path, your conscience begins sounding an alarm. You're wrong, Wade. This is wrong, Wade. This is bad, Wade. I, I, I shouldn't be doing this. You know in your heart you're saying, I shouldn't be doing this. I shouldn't be behaving this way. I know better. I, I, I know what's right. I know it's my fault. Right? That's what happens when God gets a hold of that inner conscience in that secret place with that still small voice. That's the first thing he does. Here's the second thing he does. He takes away the hedges of our protection. Yes, he does. A hedge of our protection. Listen to these next verses very closely. Here we begin in Isaiah 5, 4 through 5. What could have been done more to my vineyard? What have I done in it that I have done in it? What could more be done to my vineyard that I have done in it? Wherefore, when I looked at it, should bring forth grace, brought it forth wild grapes? And now go to, I tell you, what I will do to my vineyard. He says, I'll take away the hedge thereof, and it shall be eaten up. And break down the wall thereof, and it shall be trodden down. God, here's what he does. He begins to take away the things from us that protect us. Just because we won't listen. Sometimes those things are precious to us, too. Listen to the psalmist in Psalm 89, 38-41. But thou hast cast off and abhorred, thou hast been wroth when my anointed, thou hast made void the covenant of, my, of thy servant, Thou hast profaned his crown by casting it to the ground. Thou hast broken down all the hedges. Thou hast brought his strongholds to ruin all that passed by the way, spoil him. He is reproached to his neighbors. You know, sometimes in our defiance, God has to remove the hedge of protection to get our attention and allow us to go through some things. And as a result, what do we do? We lose privileges. Often in his removal process, we lose things that are very important to us. In other words, he could take away a job or, or a car or a family or a freedom or a comfort or a sentimental item that you have just takes it away. Or he doesn't take it away. It gets stolen away by the evil one because he took down the edge. My sister came, you know, my sister uh, who has been here, and I pray I can get her back here, came to Christ after the loss of her dog. The dog was precious to her. It brought her to church, and she heard the gospel, and she got saved. Now, I'm not saying God will end your job, crash your car, or kill your dog. I'm not saying that. That's what I'm saying. I'm not saying that to get your attention. But what I am saying, he'll do what he has to to keep you in the fold or to get you into the fold and to spare your life from hell. I, I know who is eager to do so, though. I know who's eager to do. He's not eager to kill your crash, but I know who's eager to do so, and that's Satan. The Bible says in 1 Peter 5 8, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. You know what this verse tells me? This verse tells me that Satan is roaming about looking for an opening. And that's what God does. He gives them an opening. He breaches the hedge, and once he finds once he finds his way in, that way in, he attacks immediately. You know why he does that? And that's because it may be his only opportunity to do, to do so because God might put the hedge back up again. Ecclesiastes 10, 8, 9, He that diggeth a pit shall fall into it. But whoso breaketh a hedge, a serpent shall bite him. So first he sets you down, talks with you honestly, privately. He then takes away the hedge of protection. Thirdly, if it's not working, he thwarts your plans. 
changes your life completely. I mean, because you had plans. You were going in a direction you wanted to go in. And now you can't go in that direction. Now you can't get to where you intended to go. Now you don't receive what you intended to receive. Everything begins to escape out of your reach. All of a sudden, uh, uh, things aren't going according to plan. In fact, everything is failing and falling apart before your very eyes. You know, Hildad, one of the friends of Job, he gave some pretty good wisdom in this uh, to Job, actually. He said in Job 8, 11 through 14, Can the rush grow up without the mire? Can the fig grow without water? Whilst it is yet in the, his greenness and, and not cut down, it withereth before any other herb. And then he says this, So are the paths of all that forget God. And the hypocrite's hope shall perish. That's what he's saying. First, the promise is removed in your, your plans, your hope perishes. I want you to know that no one will ever mock God and get away with it. Uh, then, secondly, the peace is removed from your plans. It's, it seems like the peace just vanishes away. You can't find it anymore. That's Isaiah 59, 8. The way of peace they know not. There is no judgment in their goings. They have made them crooked paths. Whosoever goeth therein shall not know peace. Thirdly, the prosperity of their plans is gone. Right? You were planning on that money or you're planning on doing this. Now it's gone. Solomon learned this the hard way when he said, Consider the work of God in Ecclesiastes 7. For who can make that straight which he hath made crooked? In the days of prosperity, be joyful. But in the days of adversity, consider this. God also has set one against the other. You see, God's involved with this. He sits down, he talks to you honestly, privately. He then takes a, away the hedge of your protection. Uh, if that doesn't work, he thwarts your plans, sportly. Then he thorns your pride. Then he thorns your pride. You know, um, we're going to talk about this more tonight, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time here. But right when Paul had received the greatest revelation of his life, God gave him a thorn. And he did it so he wouldn't get puffed up. Unless I should be exalted by measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted. And by the way, three times he tried to get God to take that away. So I don't know how to say this any other way, but sometimes he has to embarrass us. He really does. Before you, right before your peers, you begin to look foolish by those who loved you and respected you, and it hurts. It really hurts bad. I can remember the first time I got in trouble uh, that was enough that, you know, my whole family found out and they go, Wade Price, he, he did, you did that? I want to tell you something. I wasn't there saying, yeah, I did. I can remember laying in my bed weeping at night. Grown man, you know, grown at the time I was a kid, but I was big. Weeping because I hurt my uncle and my aunt and my grandmother because I did such stupid, I was so stupid, so foolish. You know, that seems to be so much more painful than convicting a conscience or removing a privilege or canceling a plan. And this is because pride is the most effective taskmaster in our lives. God hates pride. He gives something we can't get rid of, and the only way to endure it is to accept it and go through it. We get into this later tonight, so I'll just leave that there. But then here's the thing. And this is the last one, and we're through. But this is the most terrifying one. 
and I've literally watched this in my years of ministry. Every pastor has. He just turns you over to your harmful pleasures. This is what he does. If I was preaching up here and everybody just was shouting back at me, I don't believe that, I don't believe that, I just would finally just stop and go, well, then have it your own way. Cross my arms and I see how it works out. Go ahead, do it your own way. See how it works out. That's exactly what God does. It's terrifying to me. Terrifying to me. Psalm 106, 13, 15, they soon forgot his works. They waited not for his counsel. They lusted exceedingly in the wilderness, tempted God in the desert, and he gave them their request. But sent leanness of the soul. The old saying is you better, you better think about what you're asking for. You better really think about what you're praying for. Because we forget how easy it is to get over being saved and to get right back into the sinful lifestyle we once had. It did not take Israel long to forget the mighty works of God. It didn't. They forgot their God and they forgot their deliverance out of the bondage. They hasted, it says, and didn't want to hear God's will or way for their lives. How soon the people of God, even today, just do the, the same old thing, not even considering just what God has to say about it, how to hurt him. And not even consider just waiting on him to get, you know, direction or counsel for what to do. In other words, when you get this to this point, you're in the biggest trouble you could possibly be in with God. He not only took the hedge away, now he takes himself away. And you wanted him to back off, and he says, all right, I'm backing off. You get your wish. And there's no, nothing more detrimental to your soul than when God says, I'm through with trying to reach you. In fact, this is how we'll close. Turn over to Romans 1. You know, we use Romans 1 uh, very often to combat the, the uh, homosexual movement that's out there. Because it's very clear in there that God is not for that. He's against that. And they'll twist scripture. People do it all the time and try to make it fit their uh, But I want you to notice verse 24, verse 26, and verse 28. They're scary verses to me. I'll start with 24. Wherefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served their creature more than their creator, who is blessed, who is blessed forever. Amen. Look at verse 26. For this cause, here it is again, God gave them up, right, unto the vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their hearts, lust, one, lust towards another, men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves the recompense of their error, which is meat. And look at verse 28. And even as they did not like to retain God in knowledge, what did he do? He gave them over. He gave them over to the reprobate mind. Do you understand what he's saying here? He even says in the Bible, he even turned you over to Satan if he has to destroy your fleshly desires so that your soul can be saved. 
It says in 1 Corinthians 5, 5, it says, To deliver such a one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Our God is in the saving business. And he's going to do everything he can to get your attention. He's going to take things away. He's going to give you things you don't want. I mean, he's going to do a lot of things. Hopefully you come to your senses before you get to this point, though. These are all very sad scenarios, but the greatest part of this text, the greatest part of these verses is verse 33, where he says, But whosoever hearkeneth to me shall dwell in safety and shall be quiet from the fear of evil. Hearken here means this. We're through. I kept you 10 minutes extra. Listen, hearken here means silence yourself and listen. I never knew what that word meant until I was a kid. when I was a kid. My grandfather always used to say that. Hark! And I'd stop. And then, and then he'd give me the direction, right? In other words, silence yourself and listen to what i got to say. One, this one verse, listen, voids out my whole message. It voids out all of these warnings and the consequences. It proves the depth of God's love for you. And what he wants for us, if you'll just hearken unto him, silence yourself and listen, he'll show you the way of salvation. He'll show you the way of safety. He'll show you the way of peace. He'll give you all that. That's what people want deep within their hearts. Did you know that in the God consciousness? Do you know that in the last days, one of the things that's going to be the signs that people... Uh, that he's coming, is people will, rec- will be crying out for safety and peace. Listen to 1 Thessalonians, Thessalonians 5, 1 through 4. But the times and the seasons, brethren, we have no need that I write unto you. And the reason what he's saying is because we don't know when he's coming. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. You know that he's coming. And you know that he's going to come quickly. For when they shall say, peace and safety... Then sudden destruction come upon them, as travail upon a woman with a child, and they shall not escape. But ye, brethren, listen, you, everyone, you're not in darkness, that the day should overtake you with a thief. Right? He's let us know. We don't have to fall for the deceptions of the world. He's been faithful to guide us and to correct us and chastise us and to get us to the point so that we're prepared to meet Jesus. You can escape. He has given you a way to escape, and his name is Jesus Christ, everybody. It's always been Jesus Christ, and it always will be Jesus Christ. If you just silence yourself and just listen to him for once, he'll show you the way to be saved. He'll he'll just give you it as a gift just for listening and repenting of your sin. And obeying and doing what he's asked you to do. That simple defiance, that wicked doubtfulness and receiving it as your Savior. His holy persuader is here right now today as we speak in this very place where the gospel is being preached. Right now, with the words that I said from his word, he's chipping away at someone's heart. And the reason he's doing it is because there is a gem there and he wants to save them. So I close with this. What's it going to take? What is it going to take for him to get your attention? A hedge of protection removed? 
a sit-down, face-to-face talk, a, uh, a uh, thwarted plan, maybe a little bit of thorn jabbed in your side to get you a little bit of pain to get you get your attention, or will you just surrender and experience his love? I didn't realize this message was going to turn into an evangelistic message. But it did, didn't it? So what will it be? Let's bow our heads. What will it be? Will it finally be admitting to Jesus that you're a sinner and have no way to direct your own path or to save yourself from the penalty of your sin? Will it be that? Will it finally be acknowledging Jesus paid for your sin? That and by dying in your place on Calvary's cross and rising again from the dead to save you from hell? Will it be accepting Jesus? What will it be? Will it be accepting Jesus by faith and the free gift of eternal life that he offers? Because if you're unsaved here today, all you got to do is repent of your sin and receive him as your Savior. And you find salvation, safety, and peace. I pray with all my heart. If you're unsaved, you do it right now before it's too late. During this service. If you're in this service unsaved, you do it right now before it's too late. And if you're watching by live stream, you do it right now before it's too late, before he just says, fine, do what you want to do, and then you have to experience the pain and the consequences of unobedience. Just pray. Call out to him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord should be saved. Ask him to save you from your sin and receive him as your Savior. Do that right now. How about the rest of us? I don't know. I don't know what's going on. I don't know why he made me preach these messages, but I, but I know someone had to hear it. Maybe it's me. Maybe there's things in my life I need to straighten out. But there would be anybody here bold enough to raise their hand and say, I, I, I need some prayer right now in this area that you just talked about. Because I'm struggling and I need some, I need some, amen. I see your hands. Anybody else? Amen. Yeah. Don't be embarrassed. Raise your hand. Listen, I would rather be embarrassed now than be embarrassed at the, at the judgment seat of Christ. Just cry out to him. He wants you. He's doing everything he can right now to get your attention. Maybe it might take a trip to the altar, right? To finally. And just to kneel down and place your burden there and then walk away and leave it there. Maybe that's what it'll take. I don't know what it'll take. All I know is he knows what it'll take. And he's not going to stop till he gets you. He's going to dog you down until you finally say, yes, Jesus. I get it. I'm going to do as you asked me to do. With their heads still bowed and eyes still closed, I'm going to ask Mike to come in and just close this out for us. The altar is open. I'll meet you there if you need some prayer. We hope that message was an encouragement to you. To stay up to date with us, please follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook at LBC Schenectady. If you would like more information on how heaven can be your home, please visit lighthousebaptist.org slash the gospel.